Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. So this week I have a lot to be grateful for. And if you would indulge me just a couple of minutes, I want to tell you why. Because I think as Christians it's important to express our gratitude and say thanks to folks publicly because I just think it's what we're called to do. So today is a bit of a perfect storm in a way. We knew this day was coming a couple weeks ago, even a couple of months ago. But today, Adam is out, had to be out. Today, Christina is out, had to be out. Christian Shogren is out, had to be out. And about a month ago, Christina and I, knowing that this day was looming where everybody was out, we were running around like chickens with our heads cut off, figuring out, like, how are we going to handle this? We have, we have no worship leaders today. I mean, at this point, Jesse had not sung one single Sunday yet, and so we were calling local churches. Do you have anybody that can help? Is there anything you can do? Nobody's helping us at all. And so, right, what, why would they help other Christians? Fine, not a problem. Whatever, we'll, we'll figure this out. So, you know, it's now two days, and she and I, you know, we're prone to panicking. Whatever, it's not a problem. It is what it is. So, Finally, we just said, well, we, we, we're going to have to tell the band that we got a major, major problem on our hands. And so in a group text, we told Brock, we, we, we included Jesse because she was, you know, new. We told, we told Scott, we go, here's the issue. And without missing a beat, they go, we can do this. We, we got this. We can handle this. And I was going to say, they did a great job. So why don't we, I mean, this is not easy. I mean, Scott with those announcements. I mean, we'll take those around him any day. Short, concise, minimal bad jokes. I mean, wonderful. Here's the other thing I'm grateful about. This one. So if you were here last Sunday, I know many of you were, um, you know that Adam spoke and he did a great job talking about prayer, what it looks like to have persistent prayer in our lives. What you don't know is that Adam was not scheduled to speak last Sunday. On Saturday, my brand newborn daughter, 10 days old, on Saturday, she, out of nowhere, spiked 101.9 degree fever. And so we had to bring her to the emergency room. And my wife and I are there, and she's like on fire. And, and, you know, we thought they'd give us like Tylenol and send us on our way. Well, unbeknownst to us, they say, well, you guys are going to be here for a minimum of three days. Oh, okay. That's a problem. Okay. So <laughs> that's an issue. So it's like late in the afternoon, and I'm just waiting and waiting to find out. And finally, it, it don't, it, it's, I call Adam, I go, we got a problem, okay? There is there's no way that I'm going to be able to speak tomorrow, so you got to step in. And he goes, I got it, not a problem. And so in those 10 hours' time, he was able to look at my thoughts, change it just enough so he could deliver the best that he can, and thank God he did a phenomenal job. And so I just want to give him a round of applause because he might be watching from his cruise ship, well-earned vacation, thank you. And if you see him, you can just thank him because we're just grateful that we have somebody who can step in like that at a moment's notice. So all that to say, my daughter's fine. Everybody's fine. Everybody did a great job. Thank you, God. Um, today, we are kicking off this brand new series that we're calling Preparing for People, a Holiday Survival Guide. I'm excited about this because this is brand new stuff. We're going to have some fun. We're going to have some you know, interesting conversation and the reason this is important, as the bumper kind of alluded to, is that it is November. Thanksgiving is like two weeks away, which is wild. Um, Thanksgiving is, uh, Christmas is on its heels. And that means you're going to be spending a lot more time with people. And we all love people. Uh, I'm talking coworkers, friends, neighbors, and unfortunately for some of you, family. And they're going to be in your house. 
okay? They're going to be around your dinner table. They're going to be looking at your tree, and they're going to be in your business. And that could be overwhelming for a lot of us. A couple months ago, I saw a great meme on Instagram, and I love my memes. And I saw this meme, and honestly, it captures the entire series, and, and it actually prompted me to, to do this series. It's Ben Affleck. I don't know if you've seen this one, how everyone feels after. Okay. I've, like, we all get this, right? Like, I don't smoke, but, like, this makes you want to, like, light up a Virginia Slim 120 or something, right? Are we smoking those these days? I don't know. I, like, I just feel like we could put this up every week and kind of pray for one another and go on our way. Uh, because it's just, it's a lot. Let me just say this, because I know we're broadcasting right now, and I have family over the country watch. I'm not talking about you, obviously. We're fine. It's them, okay? They're, they've got this. So we're, okay, anyway, so uh, what we're going to be doing over the course of this series is we're focusing each week on a specific group of people that we all deal with, and the goal is to try to find out how we can not only survive the holidays, but potentially even thrive, and maybe try to find out how we might possibly even minister to the people who push our buttons. So today to kick off, we're looking at a group that we've all dealt with, are dealing with, will deal with, and I'm speaking about critical people, these gems. Um, you know, it's like your boss who just never compliments you. It's just never anything. It's just always what you're doing wrong, how they would do it better. Maybe you're um, an adult, and yet your parents still ride you about everything, okay? About how you dress, where you choose to live, how you are raising your children. Maybe you grew up Catholic. Many of us grew up Catholic. And um, well, now your family busts your chops because you come to a church like this, okay? What kind of support group for that? Uh, so no matter where you are in life and what's kind of going on in your life, you will always stumble upon a critic. And if you haven't, right, you might be that critic. We're going to get into that later on. So how do you respond? How do you begin to respond to criticism? How, 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 and even love through it. So today what we're going to look at is just three or four really simple things that we can begin to think about as we try to navigate criticism in this world. So let me set the scene for you. It's Thanksgiving, let's call it. And uh, maybe you're hosting Thanksgiving and, and, and everyone's hovering in the kitchen as they do and the criticisms begin to fly. How do you respond? Well, the first thing you want to do based on scripture is often you just don't respond. Just because somebody criticizes you does not obligate you to respond. You don't have to say something. And I think understanding this can be very freeing in a way. This is often Jesus' go-to method of dealing with critics, and he had a lot of critics. Peter tells us, you know, when they hurled their insults at him, him being Jesus, let me just pause here for a second. So what kind of insults? they say about Jesus? What do they, what do they hurl at him? Well, number one, they often called him a friend of sinners. Well, that's not a good thing back then. This, they saw him hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors. And, and we know, because we read the scripture, that he's trying to minister to these folks. But these other people just criticize him for doing it. They called him a glutton, called him a drunkard. Um, interesting, a couple times, you'll see, they called him son of of Mary. You know, it sounds like a great Christmas song. It is not. That is a slur. They heard the story about the virgin birth. They were not buying it. Okay, and so when they called him son of Mary, 
That was drawing attention to the fact that they believed him to be an illegitimate child. They called him a lunatic. They called him a heretic. So what did he do when these insults were hurled him? How did he react? It says, well, when they hurled their insults at him, it says he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, this is interesting, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Okay, he didn't fire back at the people. He didn't complain and stomp his feet, calling it unfair. He just ignored it. But what's so important here is how it says that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, meaning he grounded himself in our Heavenly Father. And we are going to get into that next week at length. So when you find yourself being criticized, when you find yourself being insulted, some of the best course of action is no action at all. Wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, said this, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. You just got to overlook it. This doesn't mean, right, don't mistake it, this doesn't mean that you're going to pretend that like what your mother-in-law just said about you didn't happen, right? I mean, she really did just say that your dress is too tight for your body type. We all, heard, like, we all heard that. Nobody missed that little comment that she just slid in there. But he's saying you've got to overlook it. And when he tells us to overlook it, what that means is choosing to forgive in real time, not holding a grudge, not holding on to it for a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is learning to actively forgive on the fly. It's, it's, look, I know what she just said wasn't fair. I know what they said isn't right. I, and I could get angry. I could snap. I could make it really awkward in here for everyone. But I am choosing to take the high road. I'm going to overlook the offense. Overlooking offense, in, in my opinion, I think it's kind of like what meekness is. You hear that term in Scripture. Jesus talked about how the meek shall inherit the earth. He talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think a lot of us often picture meekness as being weakness. That is not what meekness is. Sort of the John Garippa definition of, of meekness, and I think it squares with Scripture, is having the ability to destroy someone and choosing not to. That's what meekness is. That's what overlooking is, I feel like. Solomon says foolish people are easily upset. But wise people pay no attention to hurtful words. It is for our glory, Solomon says, to just overlook the offense, meaning it's honorable to just zip it, bite your tongue. There was a time in my life um, when God called me to do something big. Okay, we don't need to get into specifics, but you're smart people. And when God called me to do this big thing, there were some folks who didn't like it. Now, why they didn't like it, I don't know. That's between them and God. And it was during this season in my life when I faced an insane amount of undue and unfair criticism. Now, thankfully, during this time in my life, I happened to have found a mentor, this guy who's one of the one of the big leaders in the church world. And um, I was up in Atlanta having breakfast with him, just downloading to him the things that I was going through and enduring. And he gave me some really interesting advice for that season in life. He goes, John, let me tell you something. Don't get in the mud with them. Don't get in the mud with them. In other words, let it go. You need to overlook it. Yeah, but you don't understand, I told him. 
you you don't know what they're saying. And if I like if I don't if I don't respond, if I don't if I don't defend myself, people won't know the truth. If I don't say anything, then then they're only going to get one side of the story. And then he told me something that changed my life forever. He goes, "John, you need to get comfortable with the fact that some people might never know the truth and you got to stay the course." As a Christian, you will get criticized for many reasons, and many of them are bogus. And it is to our glory, and I would argue God's glory, to just overlook those offenses and stay the course. When people hurled insults at Jesus, he kept his eyes on the prize. He didn't get in the mud with him. And like Jesus, you need to let the Holy Spirit lead you and lift you above all of that noise. So what do you do? When someone criticizes you, often you just don't respond. Sometimes you respond carefully. Now notice I didn't say react, I said respond because those are two very different sort of actions. A reaction is an emotion. A response is being spirit-led. There's a, a great illustration in the Old Testament. We meet a guy named Gideon. Now you've probably heard that name before. Gideon is the patron saint of hotel Bibles. And one time he was taking some heat from a group of folks that they didn't like what he was doing, namely putting these Bibles in all the inns around Jerusalem. And we read in Judges 8, put it up there for him. It says, now the men of Ephraim, which is where they lived, said to him, what is this thing you've, you've done to us? Not calling us when you went to fight against Midian. So they criticized him sharply. Some translations say they challenged him vigorously. Interestingly enough, when you look at all the various translations, they, they all kind of say that last sentence differently. Whatever the case may be, it wasn't good. They were coming at this guy hard. So what did they do? Or what did he do? I mean, did he fight back? Did he complain? Interestingly enough, all the translations simply say he answered them. He gave them a very clear, very rational, spirit-led response. I hear what you're saying, he would go. I hear what you're saying. Here's the reality of the situation. And because he responded carefully, it says the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer and their anger subsided. Sometimes the best course of action is to calmly offer your critic some context. That can disarm a critic. Here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Just so you know, here is why I'm doing what I'm doing. What Gideon shows us here is that when people are coming against you hard, you need to wait before you respond. Because when emotions are high, let me tell you what's low. Wisdom. When, when emotions are high, you are not being driven by the Spirit. You are being driven by adrenaline. And I have never seen anybody make a wise decision when that adrenaline is pumping. When that fight or flight mode is going, it's just you, you say things and you do things you didn't mean and you just always regret it. So before you send that angry text, before you click send on that angry email, put it in a draft folder, right? Let it sit there for like an hour, maybe a day. Compose yourself. Ask for some guidance from the Holy Spirit and then respond carefully. Let me kind of shift gears for a second. Someone talk to you about the critics themselves and, and and what they're saying, what's, what's behind those criticisms. 
Because one of the interesting things about the criticisms that critics offer is that often their criticism isn't really about you. I mean, they make it seem like it's about you, but it's not really about you. See, oftentimes when dealing with people who are, how do we say this, uh, exhaustingly critical, okay? Like, you know who I'm talking about. It's like your Aunt Flo, it's that guy from work, and it's just like, how are you so negative? What? Like, you're like an energy vampire, just like sucking the good vibes out of them. What is going, like, often their criticism and their negativity is born out of some hurt in their own lives. What I have found in ministry, and I've seen it time and time again, is that hurting people hurt people. You've probably heard this phrase before, but this is so true. Hurting people hurt people. Often there is some wound that they are dealing with. Many times it's something in their own lives that they, are, that they don't like, and it manifests itself in this critical spirit, and you just need to be aware of that. When you're dealing with these folks who are hypercritical, you, you, you need to be aware of that and you need to take what they say with a grain of salt because their criticism of you could just be a reflection of something going on in their own lives. So if you have someone in your life, coworker, parent, sibling, whoever, who is hypercritical, who is very, very negative, instead of internalizing it, Instead of getting angry, sometimes we need to have compassion. Okay? We got to show these people grace. We got to show them mercy. We want to do the best that we can to love them through that wound rather than taking it personally. And that is not easy. It is not easy. And it could be an exhausting thing. But Jesus has called us to pray for and love our enemies. And these people are not your enemies they're just hurting people. So in life, you're going to face some of this criticism. You're going to face some of this undue and unfair criticism that just, it's coming at you. But you want to make sure that you don't dismiss all criticism. Because that would be reckless. So sometimes when you face criticism, you actually need to listen and make a change. A wise person, Solomon would argue, is someone who understands that you can learn and grow from the criticism you receive, whether it comes from someone who wants the best for you or whether it comes from somebody who doesn't really like you. If you have a receptive heart, you can learn from anything. Now, this is a kind of a big thing for some of you. I don't know your story, but the universal you, because if you are somebody who would say that there are people, or let's say a person or a group of people who are, quote, always hard on me. They're always hard on me. They're always writing me about something. They're always coming down hard on me. If that's you, let me just give you, uh, you know, a nickel's worth of free advice. Okay, we're all friends here. If everyone tells you you have a problem, chances are you have a problem. I'm just saying, if, like if everybody, like if your spouse who loves you and wants the best for you, if they are constantly telling you that you yell at the kids too much, that you come down on the kids too much, guess what? Chances are you yell at the kids too much. If, if your friends are all telling you that the guy you're dating is a loser, what do they know? You can fix him. Mm, you can't. He's a loser. Okay? If, if everyone is telling you something and they're telling it to you repeatedly, then maybe there's something you can learn from it. Solomon says, 
if you listen to constructive criticism, you'll be at home among the wise. But if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. Meaning if we always reject the criticism that we receive, you can actually miss an opportunity for growth. So when you work in ministry, um, this doesn't happen at this church, but like in the church world, um, when you work in ministry, you hear a lot of criticism. Just it, it's part of the job, comes to the territory. Everybody has an opinion as to how they believe church should be run because we're all experts. And, you know, it's music's too loud. Music's not loud enough, okay? Too many songs, not enough songs. Sermon was too long. Sermon was not long enough. You need more scripture. You got way too much scripture. It's, you know, it's always something. We always have an opinion. When you are someone who hears a lot of criticism, and this can go for your own job and your own life as well. When you are someone who's always on the receiving end of a lot of criticism and opinions, two things can happen. Number one, you could become hardened to that criticism. You could become tempted to, you could, you could be con conditioned to, if you will, to just ignore all the criticism. Just stick your fingers in your ear and just block out everything that people are saying. And Solomon would say that's unwise. Or you can go to the opposite extreme. You could listen to all the criticism, treating it all as being correct, all as being valid and worthy to listen to, and you can lose your way. Because when you try to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one. One time a buddy of mine who um, is no stranger to giving his opinion, and, and we've talked about that and we've joked about that. One time he called me up on the phone and he goes, hey, I want to talk to you about something, right? which is never going to be a good thing. You know, never, like it's never like, I want to give you a thousand bucks free and clear, okay? So, we, so I'm like, all right, I'm in for it. This is not going to be a good conversation. He goes, I want to talk to you about something. He goes, I've been praying about this for a year before I'm bringing this to you. Now I just want to stop there. That's a mark of a mature Christian. Somebody who, who felt something, had some kind of an issue, an opinion or criticism, and they prayed about it for a year. That's a long time, but they prayed about it a, for a year to make sure it wasn't of themselves, to make sure this thing that they were going to bring to some other Christian was that God was in it. He goes, about a year ago, you did something or you said something, and it just, it bothered me. And I just thought as a brother in Christ, as someone who works in ministry, you, sh you, should, no you should know this. When he told me this, as soon as he was done speaking, it was as though the Holy Spirit stuck me with a knife. And almost audibly, I could hear the Holy Spirit saying to me, you need to listen to him. He's right. You need to listen to this criticism. And I did. And I will just say, I am a better person, a better Christian, a better leader, a better pastor for having listened to this criticism. We can't always ignore criticism. Sometimes we actually have to listen, and sometimes we actually have to change. There's one last thing we can do when, when we're facing criticism, and this is so important. Whatever we do, we always want to guard our hearts, okay? Because if you don't, guard your hearts when criticism is coming at you. Satan can use that criticism to take you out of the game. 
to render you ineffective. One of the ways that Scripture describes Satan, this is kind of a cool phrase, calls him the accuser of the brethren. And this is kind of an old word talking about Christians, brothers and sisters. The accuser of the brethren. Jesus called him the father of lies. Satan is the one who heaps guilt and shame on you. And so when we find ourselves dealing with that unfair, undue criticism, we need to guard our hearts so that it doesn't drive us to become the critical person. Satan would love nothing more than to see criticism drive you to anger and bitterness and rage. And so we got to guard our hearts when that's going on so that we don't become the critical person. And here's the thing about being a critical person and having a critical heart. A critical heart is very easy to spot in other people, but it is incredibly difficult to see in ourselves. Because when we criticize, we think we're right, don't we? I mean, we think we have the right to offer our opinions, if you will, that we have these pearls of wisdom that we're going to dispense on the people around us because we know what we're talking about. One phrase you'll hear all the time on The Real Housewives. Uh, I don't watch that show, but my wife watches it. So it's in the background, okay? I, don't wa- like, I might know all their names and all their storylines, and I might believe that Erica Jane really knew exactly what was going on out there, okay? So I don't watch it, though. I just know. So anyway, one of the phrases you'll hear all the time on this show, and I'll just say this, this particular phrase has become almost like ubiquitous, universal, if you will, in our culture. And I know every time I hear this phrase, that drama is going to follow after this person says this thing. But what the phrase you hear all the time is, I just got to say, I just got to say, oh boy, okay? No, you don't. No, you don't just got to say. We've gotten to a place in this country where everyone feels like, I just got to say. No matter how it's going to affect the other person on the receiving end of these pearls of wisdom, as I called it, that you've got to dispense on everybody. My, grandf- um, my wife's grandfather, Irish, great accent, been in the country 50 years, never lost the accent. He's got a great motto that he lives by. He says, say nothing for a long time, right? Then say nothing at all. Just, you know, sweep it under the rug like the rest of us. <laughs> just pretend like it never ends. No, I'm kidding. But he's saying in this life, you just can't nitpick everybody about everything. And Christians, and a lot of you in this room are Christians, that's us. I mean, we criticize, we criticize people's political opinions. We criticize their clothes. We criticize the car they drive. We criticize how they spend their money. Well, if I had this kind of money, I, would, I wouldn't spend it that way. Yeah, you would. Okay, we criticize their weight. We criticize their grammar. Maybe that's just me. And, and here's the bad thing. Here's the hard part. Many times, oftentimes, we have no clue about how critical we actually are because we justify I mean, Christians, I'm talking to you right now. I mean, Paul would say this. Why do you criticize other followers of the Lord? Why? Why do you look down on them? The day is coming when God will judge all of it. So what's his advice? Go stop criticizing each other. It's not, just, don't, just don't do it. We got to stop being so nitpicky. We got to stop being so critical. We have not been called, as followers of Jesus, we have not been called to judge anyone. We have been called to love one another. Now, this doesn't mean we can't point out sin in someone else's life when we see it. 
but that is only after prayer and reflection. There is enough negativity in this world. There is enough hatred in this world already. Christians shouldn't be adding to it. Solomon says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. I want to try my best to live this kind of life. Not always going to succeed, okay? I'm from New Jersey. I can only do so much. But with God's help, I can do the best that I can to live this kind of life because I want my words to be uplifting. I want, I want my words to be life-giving. I want my words to be encouraging. There's a, a woman in this church, one of our volunteers, one of our greeters, and since you guys are here in the audience today, you probably did encounter her on the way in or at some point in your past. Her name is Betty Jo. Here's a picture of her. Oh, I can hear the, yeah, you guys know Betty Jo. Betty Jo, in my very professional theological opinion, is God's gift to this church. I firmly believe that. Let me just embarrass her for a moment, because I can. Um, if the Guinness Book of World Records had a category for love and encouragement, this woman would win that award hands down every year. Nobody can come even close. Every day, I mean, if you know her and she gets your phone number, Every day she will send you a text message of encouragement. She will pray for you. When my daughter was in the NICU all this week, she texted me morning, noon, and night, early in the morning, late at night. I'm praying for you. She just sends little emojis letting you know that she's just thinking about you. I don't want to bother you. I'm just thinking about you. I'm just praying. I'm just praying for you. My wife and I always say, man, we want to be as nice as Betty Jo. It's not going to happen. But like that's... Uh, like, it's just, you're near, I mean, you, no one can do that. But like, we want to, like, if we could just be like a fraction, literally a percentage point of what this woman is, how much better would life be for us? How much better would the world be? Here's what I love about Betty Jo. And here's what we all can learn from this woman. Betty Jo chooses, it's a choice, to focus on the positive. Because if you search for the negatives in this world, let me tell you something. You will find an endless, a never-ending supply of things to which you could criticize, but you become what you focus on. And when you always focus on the negative, you will become negative. Betty Jo has figured out that God can use her mightily when she focuses on love and encouragement. But if we allow ourselves to become critical, and it can happen easy, it's really hard for God to use you. Let me wrap this up. As Christians, when you walk into a room, you should light it up. You should light it up. You should be lifting spirits. You should be building one another up in faith. You should be pointing people to Jesus Christ. And we'll tell the truth when we have to, but we'll do it in love. We want to be the light of this world. Because Jesus loved this world. So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here, every single week we throw this word on the screen because we want to make sure you guys can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So in this world, you will be criticized. It's going to happen. And if you're a Christian, you're going to be criticized even more. And so this Thanksgiving, when somebody hands you the stuffing, they might hand you some criticism along with it. 
And when they do, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember who you are in Christ. And like I said, we're going to talk a lot more about this next week. But we want to have the confidence to know who we are in Christ and who Christ has called us to be because ultimately, the only opinion that matters in this world is God's. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, God no longer sees you. God sees you through the lens of Jesus. And with that understanding that God loves you unconditionally, we can overlook the negative criticisms in this life because they don't define who we are. But if we live by people's approval, we will die by their rejection. And you just got to know that your approval is rooted in Christ alone. So as long as you're making wise choices in this life, as long as you are living according to the will of God, that's all that matters. It really is. My, my prayer for you is that you won't be driven by praise and you won't be derailed by criticism. My prayer for you is that you won't let compliments go to your head and you won't let criticisms go to your heart. Because this Thanksgiving and this Christmas, there's a pretty good chance that you might face some criticism. And if you can't learn from it, you got to rise above it. And I believe that choice will speak volumes about your faith in Christ. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we come together today and just talk about an issue that is hard. Lord, we all face criticism in this life. And, and, and for some of us, God, we have family that are tough on us. And I just pray that as we get nearer to Thanksgiving, as we get nearer to Christmas, that for those of us who might be seeing these people for the first time in a long time, I pray, God, that you would give us peace in the midst of that. I pray, Lord, that if the criticisms do fly, if they are undue, if they are unfair, you would give us the peace and the strength to let it go, to forgive on the fly, to overlook those offenses, God. But if there is something in our life that needs to be changed. Lord, if you are using the people around us to try to get our attention, God, I pray that you would give us the discernment to hear that, the power to accept that, God, and by the power of Jesus to do something with it and become better because of it. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of life. Thank you for your son Jesus and what he did on that cross. And I put all of these requests in his name.